I'm asking all of my listeners, my proud supporters of our courageous men and women in blue to join me and express your unwavering appreciation for law enforcement. Thin Blue Line USA has stylish apparel, great accessories that make a statement and flags that fly with pride. They've got everything you need to show your support for law enforcement. Go to ThinBlueLineUSA.com and shop a wide selection of products to show up your patriotism. Use code SID and get 15% off. Stand with me, Sid, and stand with WABC as we honor those who protect and serve. ThinBlueLineUSA.com. Once again, use the code word SID. So you know my history, folks. I'm down in Fort Lauderdale. I'm syndicated thanks to Joel Hollander. Dying to get to New York in 2000. WNEW hires me. Do the morning show. Station was red hot. Opie and Anthony, all those guys. Come up with my friend Scott Kaplan. He gets fired. We bring in Craig Carton. Me and Carton don't get along. I leave WNEW. And just by chance, that was the Met Yankee World Series. The year was 2000. And I met a guy named Mark Chernoff at a Mike and the Mad Dog live show at Rockefeller Center. I've been a FAN fan my whole life. I called in. I Sid from Brooklyn, talking about Oakley and the Knicks with Mike and Chris. I met Chernoff, and um, after I was done at NEW, I was about to go back to Florida. And through Steve Cohen, I got an interview with Mark Chernoff. And it turned out that at the time, Lee Davis, the GM, and Connie Fitzgerald in charge of marketing were huge fans of mine, and they hired me. And I had probably the most, the loudest, I would say the loudest stay at WFAN. People think I was there for 30 years. I was there for four years, four, 2001 through 2005. It was the height of the station's success, but I was there. And then uh, over the next nine years, till 2014, I did a bunch of fill-in shows, which really pissed off Mike Francesa. And eventually, I landed this job here in 2016 with my late partner, Bernard McGurk, and we, repl- we replaced a legend here, of course, in Don Imus. And Imus was the guy that made the fan go. Well, it all started with a guy named Jeff Smullian, Emmis Broadcasting in Indianapolis. He got the whole thing going, his idea, sports talk radio, and all these legends now were because of his great idea. His new book is out, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, the Ups, Downs, and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur. Joining me live this morning, the brainchild behind WFAN, Jeff Smolian. Jeff Sid Rosenberg in New York, buddy. How are you? I'm great, Sid. Great talking to you. Great hearing that old history. Great memories. Yeah, those were great memories. And certainly when I got started, it was such a, such a, uh, just a, a rise, unprecedented. I mean, I went from doing internet radio in 1998 to doing sports on IMIS, hosting the Midday Show and the Giants in three years on WFAN and working with all those legends. But for you, Jeff, I know you were at USC. I think you told this to Mike or Chris on one of their shows. Yeah. You're at USC, and that's where you came up with the idea of Sports Talk Radio? Yeah, I was not paying attention in class, which was pretty standard <laughs> for me in those days. Um, and I always thought about doing all sports. And when we bought the Doubleday stations, we had an AM, uh, and we said, what are we going to do with it? And I said, let's do all sports. And our senior managers, who, by the way, Joel Hollander is one of those people, Joel voted for it, but most of them didn't. And the idea was going to die. And some of our guys came in and said, look, we still think it's a stupid idea, but we owe you one. Let's do this thing. Um, and that was the birth of all sports radio. And it, for the first year and a half, it was a disaster. I have a favorite saying in life, Sid. 
the line between being a genius and an idiot is very fine. And I've been on both sides. And in, in the book, I have a chapter, Idiot to Genius, which is WFAN. Because the first, first 18 months it was on the air, people said, what a disaster. Uh, Jim Lampley called it the Vietnam War of Emma's. It was known in the, in the company as Smullyan's Folly. Uh, and then, you know, we, we switched to 660. We brought in Imus. We brought in Mike and the Mad Dog. All of a sudden, the market started. We we modified the format, and it, and it became a success. So then I went to Genius, uh, which I was happily at. Uh, and then the next year, I bought the Seattle Mariners, and I started at Genius and ended up as Idiot. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think for the most part, you're a genius, evidenced by you, along with our friends Chris Russo and Susan Waldman, making the Radio Hall of Fame in Chicago just last month. Congratulations yeah. on that. That's a big deal. Thank you. But I remember the early days of FAN when Jim Lampley, who's a good friend of mine, was on the station, Greg Gumbel. And I think people were saying, when are you going to get a Brooklyn guy? When are you going to get a Queens guy? When are you going to get a local guy to really get New Yorkers all fired up? And I think when you did that later on, along with Imus and the Mets, that was the key to success. That's exactly right. We needed to make it local. It was uh, the, the, the guy who put it together, John Shannon, was a wonderful guy. But he was kind of a network guy. And once we said, look, we got to make this about New York, things started to turn. And they turned in a big way. But everybody who worked at that station, and, of course, I did sports at IMAX for many, many years and worked again for Don here at WABC till he retired and me and Bernie took over his slot here at ABC. Everybody, including Mike and Chris, willing to admit very, very quickly that the reason why FAN had great success was really because of Don IMAX, yes? I, I agree. Don was, and you know what's funny about it is uh, when we first put the station on the air, we wanted to get Don because we thought he had a perfect marriage of, you know, the, the sports fans and non-sports fans. And and I'll never forget his agent. If you remember, Don had all his rehab problems uh, when we when we bought the station. And I met with his agent, who I knew, and I said, let me see if I get this right. We have a, a Mets baseball team that has a substance abuse problem. We have a radio station losing <laughs> records amounts of money. And we have Don, who's one drink away from rehab again. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, God, that's funny. You're right, because <laughs> the station started in 1987, literally right after that historic World Series win over the Red Sox. And just right. about every member of the Mets was doing cocaine, all of them. Yeah, that that is right. That is right, and it, and that became that became well known when we started in '87. It was a, they won in '86, and 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 so we said, what could possibly go wrong? And the <laughs> night before I'm inside on, apparently he went on the air and said, these idiots don't realize I'm one stiff drink away from tanking the whole thing. Uh, but as you know, yeah. uh, I I love Don, and he's a remarkable talent. Yeah, um, and he did. I yeah. always said. The biggest reason for that success was Don. Now, Mike and the Mad Dog and so many other people. We had great people there. Well, that was interesting because I'm very close with Chris. He's on this show quite a bit, actually. Mike every now and then, but Chris is on quite a bit. And uh, the the name Mad Dog, of course, uh, dubbed Bob Raceman. New York Daily News gave him yeah. that name. Right. Uh, he also gave right. Imus the nickname Iman. So Raceman played a major role in the FAN nickname game. Right. But uh, here was Mike doing, I think, some of those midday shows with Ed Coleman and um, Doggy kind of uh, running around uh, everywhere between Jacksonville and New York. What was the, the, when you talk, for example, to um, Mark Mason, how did he know that Mike Francesa and Chris Russo were going to be so good? Well, nobody knew. They just, and I give Mark all the credit. He had a hunch that put him together. 
as 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 you know, they weren't actually in love with each other for a long time. And they and they're still not, by the way. They're still not, Jeff. <laughs> But, but just remarkable ta- both of them remarkable talents, and uh, you know it, it, it was it was a lot of fun. There was so many. I think the th- fun thing about writing the book was all the crazy stuff we've done. Um, you know, I always said everybody should be a pariah once in your life, and if you own a major league baseball team in Seattle, you'll get that chance. Yeah. So just all sorts of crazy stuff. Why did the Mariner deal fall apart? I mean, if I remember correctly, those were the Ken Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, those teams, right? Yeah, we right before A Rod, but we had Junior and we had Randy Johnson, uh, and we had Jay Buhner and we had uh, Edgar Martinez. But at the beginning of their careers, um, and we just couldn't afford to lose the kind of money that you lost in Seattle those days. I used to say, to own a, a baseball team in Seattle, you really had to be a billionaire. To own the Yankees or the Dodgers, if you had a paper route, you'd be okay. Um, <laughs> but 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 really, we we just couldn't afford it, and we said that, and uh, so. We ended up selling it. Well, you bought the fan in 87, and if I'm correct, you sold the fan in 92, four years after Rimus, three years after Mike and Chris. So you were starting to see some success. Why would you make that deal for the Mariners anyway? Well, we we had bought all the radio stations. If you look at our company, we really had a strange successes in the 80s. Uh, we had bought the NBC stations, Doubleday. So in those days, you could only own one FM and one AM in a market. And we were really in most of the top 10 markets. And, and we were always viewed as marketing guys and turnaround guys and always very proud of the culture we built. And we had dealt with the people of Mets and other people in baseball and the Mariners were for sale. I had known, I'd been to Seattle, thought it was a great town. And uh, and we thought, you know, this is a challenge. Let's do it. And, mm. and we we also saw the beginning of the rise of cable TV and baseball. So we really thought the economics would be good. And we were, I always say, a pioneer either gets to the promised land or, mm-hmm. he, you know, he dies a little bit short with arrows in his back. And we had a few arrows in our back situation. What was uh, David Letterman's role in all of this? Well, the first radio station I ever ran before I started it was David. I hired David to be my midday guy. Uh, and David was, uh, and he, when he took the job, he was a weatherman, weekend weatherman, and he said, I want to do this, I'm going to do it for a year, and I'm going to go to Hollywood and see if I can become a star. Um, and he was brilliant. David, now the problem was it was a talk station reaching mo- mostly older people. David was a 25-year-old guy, and he did all sorts of crazy stuff. I'll tell you, one day I came back from from lunch, and a listener called me, and he said, you got to get Letterman off the air. I said, why? He said, <laughs> He said, because he's a communist. Oh my God. And I said, well, why is Dave a communist? And he said, well, I called and said, there's communists all over Carmel, Indiana. And you know what Dave said? I said, no. He said, he said you got to give him Carmel. The, the roads are bad. The football <laughs> team's terrible. So give him Carmel and hold the line at the next suburb. That's great. So, yeah. And but, uh, th- that was Dave. Well, maybe that explains why there are some folks that think you're an ally of Vladimir Putin. You want to try to explain that one, Jeff? <laughs> Well, no, I'm, de- I'm definitely not an, ad- an ally of Vladimir Putin. We actually got nationalized. One of the chapters in the book is about getting nationalized. We won the national network in uh, in Hungary, um, and it was a spectacular success. Uh, it was called Schlager Radio, and it had, um, uh, at one point, I think four and a half million listeners out of a country of about 10 million. A monumental success, biggest thing in, in radio ever. And when Viktor Orban came in, he basically nationalized us. Uh, which there were two national networks. One was owned by us and one was owned by an Austrian company. Um, and 
they started nationalizing nationalize us. And I had a friend, um, Bill Kennard, who had been former FCC chairman, who was just appointed the United States ambassador to the European Union in Brussels. And I called him and I said, Bill, we're being nationalized. And he, and he said, Jeff, you can't be nationalized. They're a member of the European Union. They have rules and regulations. I said, Bill, I'm telling you we're being nationalized. <laughs> he said, Jeff, they can't do it. I said, Bill, trust me, they're doing it. A week later, he called me and said, Jeff, I'll be damned. They're nationalizing you. <laughs> and I think I said, I said, no S. I won't say the word uh, on radio, but uh, no, yeah. no, no S, Bill. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. You knew it. Uh, you also kind of first, not just with Sports Talk Radio, now you got three or four in every city. And you're really the reason why, Jeff, there's a lot of very mediocre talent working daily in this country. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm, you want... I'm also the reason why mediocre talent runs companies, I might add. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You've done all of that. So good. You're great for jobs in this country, whether you have talent or not. But uh, you have talent, by the way, in spades. But podcasts, you saw that thing coming years and years ago as well. Yeah, we well in streaming audio. We've been streaming audio for thirty five years, and of course, we you know we're well aware of podcasting. You know, the, I mean, the great thing about podcasting and, and people can have a voice. Same with streaming; anybody can stream. Uh, the problem is making them viable businesses, and, and so that's the big challenge. And we it talk is. about yeah. talk, talk about the we talk about the economics of sports and radio and TV and and and, and contemporary media, which is the fun part about writing the book. Just talking about this in language that hopefully people can understand and laugh about. That's the key. This book, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, The Ups and Downs and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur, Jeff Smullyan, the genius. I mean, just an unbelievable, many, many ideas, not just sports talk radio. But I do believe this book one day, Jeff, as we wrap this up, should be made into a movie. And I would ask, even though not in the book, now when you make the movie, I'd like to play myself. (laughs) Well, well, shit, I'm thinking about that. People, people have asked me about the movie. I said, look, I'm, I'm sort of partial to uh, uh, to George Clooney for me, um, and, and and my dear friend Gary Casey, Gary Casey, who ran the team. They said, who do you want to play Gary? And I said. I'm thinking Don Knotts for Gary. That was what I'm hoping for. So, yeah, so and it's, I a, don't know. it's a shame that uh, Phyllis Diller died because now who's going to play I miss? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, Jeff, congratulations. Uh, the book is Thank great. You. Certainly a, a major part of my success now. I have to date all the way back to those great years at WFAN. So many of us around this country here in New York, whether it's a Steve Summers, a Joe Beningo, or Mike Francesa, or Chris Russo, or Sid Rosenberg, owe our success to you and the original thought back at the University of Southern California. So thank you so much. Thanks, Sid. My pleasure. That's here. There he is, Jeff Smolian. How about that, huh? Never ride a roller coaster upside down. You met Jeff early on, Lou Rufino, right? Yes, very nice. Man. Yeah. Very nice. He was very cool. He was nice to you? Yeah, he was very yeah, nice. Good. Very he's, nice. He's a nice I always guy. liked him. Smart guy. Jeff yes. Smolian, folks. Go buy that book today. If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at at info at gobbolaw.com. Gobble Law, where winning is no accident.